Father God, thank you so much uh, for the Corinthians with all their many flaws, mistakes, and foolishnesses uh, from which we can both identify with at times and learn from at better times. Pray that today you'll illuminate our heart through your text and help us to be transformed by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I do wish that this reading began halfway through the verse uh, that, it, that it did begin with. If it just said this, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know, as he ought to be know, but the man who loves God is known by God. Then it would be a rather lovely anti-intellectual text, wouldn't it? You could run along to any theological college and tell them they were wasting their time uh, because all we need is love. Um, and you know the song, don't you? All you need is love. Boom, 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 boom. You know how, Gabriella? I've got, got that one there. Um, and, and, you know, all this knowledge stuff that the vicar and the theology colleges and these books seem to want to stick into us is utterly irrelevant because all we need is a lovely experience of God's glowing and warm love and then we're going to be fine. Um, However, um, Dennis has done absolute malice to the text by giving me just the first three verses of a passage which is clearly all about what the the first few words of our text said. It's about food sacrifice to idols. And so the context of the uh, two verses here make a huge difference. If we were looking for the anti-intellectual bit in Corinthians, we have to go back to chapters 1 and 2. And there's plenty in there. Uh, You see Christ, the wisdom and power of God, all the way to from the wisdom from the Spirit, where Paul picks on the people of Corinth who rely on their verbosity, on their intellectualism, on their I know more than you. And he says, so what? The foolishness of God is far wiser than the wisdom of men. You remember the context of Corinth? It was an immoral city that was utterly sacked and destroyed and then had recently been rebuilt uh, not long before the time of Paul. Great Athens is just around the corner, the sort of Oxford or Cambridge of its day, um, with all its great grandeur and historical power. And Corinth is the new kid on the block full of people seizing trading opportunities and taking advantage of the people trying to get across the 3.7 miles from one coast to the other, from one port to the other, and you could probably pass through many a brothel on your way along that three-mile walk. Interesting place, Corinth, vibrant, excited. We've talked about it being the Channel 5 city of its day. Um, Everyone who lived there could have been on Big Brother. Um, It's that sort of feel to it. And the Corinthians, almost certainly in this verse, have uh, sent Paul a a letter before, and uh, where it says, we know we all possess knowledge, that's probably a quote, from them saying, you've told me that you all possess knowledge. So what are they talking about? And what's this food sacrifice to idols malarkey? It's not very current for us, is it? Food sacrifice to idols. Back in the day, um, meat was a rarer commodity than now that we have these incredible chicken factory farms um, producing salmonella and and KFC stuff that can't be delivered properly by DHL. (laughs) Um, And meat would have been a rarity. And to have meat, you would often have meat in the context of it being delivered to you uh, via a temple event. And the temple would have had a slaughterhouse in it. It would have had a banqueting hall in it. It would have been the whole malarkey. But the animal would have been slaughtered in front of one variety or other of pagan, Greek, or Roman god. So in in, uh, offering to that god, 
Um, it would have been, oh, Aphrodite, you beautiful goddess, uh, make me more beautiful, slash, off comes the head of a, a, a lamb or a chicken or a pigeon or whatever they're going to cook that day. Um, and this caused enormous uh, controversy for the early church because if you want meat, um, where are you going to get it? It's all being slaughtered and chopped up in the idol factory of the temple. And you're a believer in Jesus. You have come to accept the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. You know that you're not supposed to worship idols, uh, but your meat's all over there. What do you do? And the strictest of the Jews, the Judaizers among the Christians, would have been like, don't go there. Uh, But some of these uh, Christians have heard the gospel, and they have knowledge that's come from the gospel. And the gospel tells us very clearly and, and very helpfully that everything is permissible for us <laughs> because of the grace of Jesus Christ. We are no longer under law, we're under grace. And those idols aren't really anything. We know that they're nothing because there is only one true God. So, therefore, I have this knowledge. I can walk to the temple and go, "Um, that's not really a God. And I have grace. I've got great theology. I've got lots of grace. Therefore, that's not a God. I'm full of grace. I can do anything. I'm going to eat the food sacrificed to idols because it's not going to harm me in any way. I've got great knowledge. And you guys over here, who won't eat the food sacrificed to idols, (laughs) Look at your pathetic, puny faith. <laughs> you don't have the knowledge that I've got. You haven't got the freedom I've got. How come you haven't come into this full theological experience that I've got that sets me apart from you, and I'm going to just go and do what I like, and by the way, I get a KFC when you miss out on yours. <laughs> you see, I mean, that, that's uh, one possible putting together of the story behind the story, but uh, it sort of shows some of the puffing up that can come when you think, I've got more revelation than you have. (laughs) I'm brighter than you are, and I'm going to do things my way. Now, the other, the end of the quote, everything is permissible for me, has already been given in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, where it says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. It's when he's talking about sex, as we've been doing for the last 15 weeks or so. (laughs) Um, Everything's permissible for me, not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible for me, I'll not be mastered by anything. We saw that again in the book of Romans when we were studying that on Sundays, three times through uh, the book of Romans, that same phrase. Everything is now permissible for a Christian. Have you become a Christian? Grace has come into your life. There are no rules. (laughs) Except, actually, it's quite good to have some rules because it keeps you safe. (laughs) Um, Because when you have no rules whatsoever, what happens is you end up being mastered by whatever you start being obedient to. And you go, Jesus has set me free for freedom. And therefore, I'm just going to do this, that, the other. And actually, the more you go on a way that is contrary to him, you end up not being free at all. You end up being bound. And part of the freedom that comes from Jesus is being an obedient to him. We've been set free in order to be obedient to the one who keeps us free. It's an amazing conundrum. 
So here we are. We have got these guys who are puffed up with knowledge. And Paul says, what you actually need is a love that builds you up. The person who thinks they know something does not yet know as they ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. And to understand a second bit of it, you have to actually go into next week's sermon and the week after the sermon to, to make any sense of it. Um, wh- why has he brought love into the equation here? The reason he's brought it into the equation is because he, he's talking about these guys over here that the first posse have been looking down on. They've been going, um, you pitiful, wretched people who are still keeping the law, and um, vegetarians. Um, to you, you should just join us. And actually, what, what we have argued is that you should never go beyond your conscience. Our consciences are dumbed down enough by our own sin. Um, don't, don't break what you feel you have permission to do. And don't cause anyone else to break what they don't feel they have permission to do. It's been very interesting recently. We had uh, some people join our church from a very, very strict um, uh, American variety of Baptist church. Um, and they came to our home group. And we had a meal, and we had alcohol being served. And you could see husband and wife double-taking at each other um, and then actually slowly smiling <laughs> when they realized that the rules that they had been forced to keep in a, in a previous context weren't here. But also sort of nervous about it. And in my, my trip to Uganda, um, the church there, when they realized that, um, that Western Christians would drink alcohol, were sort of outraged by it because as they'd understood scripture and Jesus and trying to be holy, that had been a law or a rule that for them felt like an absolute one. And it was the pagans who got drunk, not the Christians. In, in our own country, of course, Methodism was famous for its um, absence from alcohol because you know, the communities Wesley was preaching into, the guys would get home, uh, go and drink the gin, come home and their family were impoverished because they were drinking alcohol that they couldn't afford to have. So it becomes a great principle which becomes a legislative rule which then becomes a reason to look down on someone because they're not keeping the rule that you're keeping. And it's a funny slippery slope, isn't it? Everything's permissible for us. Um, but don't look down on your brother who is like, um, I can't do that. And don't sort of look down on your brother who is like, uh, you can do that. What will break through this is when you know as you ought to know and how do you know as you ought to know it's when you love God then you're known by God yourself you say well okay I love God Um, but how do we know if we love God how do we know if we love God is it because we have a wonderful experience of God in our worship times or when we come to church and we meet friends and we feel warm and fuzzy or or a dentist preaches a particularly amusing sermon and you, you're laughing through it. Is, is that how we know uh, that we love God? There's a bit of it, isn't it? There's a bit of an experiential inner thing with loving God. But actually, you really know you love God when you love the people he loves. I remember listening to an incredible man called Alan Scott speaking on this. And Alan is a raging introvert. Any, any of those here in the room today, uh, one or two around, 
Um, Alan was essentially a spiritual hermit. He loved just spending time on his own with God. Uh, and he was great at it. I mean, really, really good at it. Um, and then one day God said to him, if you want to get to know me, you've got to find me in my friends. Because that's where I am. In my people. That's where I am. You want to love me, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And you have to love your brothers and sisters. There's no way of just loving God without also keeping the second command or the new command that Jesus gives. Loving God, loving your neighbors out there, and loving your fellow Christian brothers and sisters are all part of the same Trinitarian package. And so if you know as you ought to know, it's because you love God and are known by God. And if you love God, you're suddenly preferring your brother and sister to your own sense of, I've got my rights and I've got my grace. See, the irony in this passage is that the Corinthians are getting told off left, right, and center because they've actually got quite good theology. There's other points where people get told off for having wacky theology. And the wacky theology is like, I've got a secret knowledge. I know more than you do. I've got, you know, an angel came along and whispered in my ear. The book of Hebrews says, you know, don't pay too much attention to angels or mysteries or stuff that no one else can know about. Don't, don't follow the Gnostics. Um, but these guys are basically repeating back a central gospel truth that everything's permissible for me. Because grace has set me completely free. Uh, there's nothing that, that I have to do to earn God's favor. There's no rules I have to keep to be right with him. Um, they've got a key doctrine nailed on. But the outworking of it is terrible. Because it makes them look down on their neighbor to their left and to their right. And so they're not loving them. So therefore they're not loving God. So therefore it's all wrong. Isn't it amazing? Knowledge and love need to come together and be outworked together to be right. So, does this mean anything to us today whatsoever? Um, next time you're going to a temple for food sacrificed to an idol? No. <laughs> uh, this is what you should do. Um, it's probably unlikely that that scenario is likely to crop up too quickly for us. But a scenario where we look down on someone who sees the Christian universe a bit differently to us, and that's quite likely, isn't it? You know, the person who prefers to encounter God with their head down in a prayer book um, might look like a less developed Christian to the person who likes to encounter God singing with their arms stretched out. The person who looks like they're drawing attention to themselves in worship and showing off, might look less spiritual to the humble person who's on their knees um, quietly reciting their prayers in Latin. <laughs> it's easy, isn't it, to look left and right and go, I've got more revelation than you, without pausing to let the love of God shape how we see each other. And you may think of numerous other examples along the way. As 1 Corinthians kicks in, 
you'll find that this theme of love is going to be accelerated towards the end of the book. At the beginning of the book, we had the theme of wisdom and this sort of false wisdom. Um, But it's going to sort of culminate in love, holding together all of our worship practices. So this verse is really, really important. Um, How and what we wear to church, how and when we speak in church, how and when we exercise spiritual gifts in church, um, how and when we promote or don't promote ourselves, which doctrine we see is absolutely key in chapter 15, i.e. the resurrection of Jesus, are all to be controlled by love. I follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not Love, I'm a resounding gong and a clashing cymbal. Um, Love is patient, love is kind. You you know all the words. So love is part of the key to it. But it's not supposed to replace knowledge in a vacuous sense. (laughs) These verses aren't to be taken out of context and go, you don't need knowledge, you just need an experience. In context, it's very, very clear that knowledge is good. But it's only really good when it's distilled through the eyes of love. I pray that as we've gone through Corinthians more and more, our knowledge has increased massively. But may our knowledge of what is right and wrong be distilled through incredible sense of love for one another and all God's people out there. In Jesus' name, amen.